you know, my due diligence on that site was absolutely zero. My due diligence was I can cut a, a fence, a, a gate in the back fence, and that will save me three minutes to get to the pub as opposed to walking around. That was my due diligence. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the show. How are you doing? I've got an absolute classic episode coming up for you today with a guest I know you're going to absolutely love. Just before we get to him, here's a quick project update from me about what I've been up to. My Cambridge Road project is getting very close towards the end. Thank goodness. We've got the power cabinet in now we've got the gas manifold connected the nbn's connected the floorboards are going in the landscaping's getting done the electricians are doing the final fit off the plumbers are in doing the final fit off so it's all starting to come together thank god because it's been one hell of a ride it's now been two years since the builder stepped on site there so it's been a really long road but we're getting close towards the end On my other project, we've been trying to resolve some issues around levels and retaining walls. So that's been requiring a bit of back and forth with engineers and designers. But hopefully we're getting close to having a solution on that front. So on the projects front, there's plenty going on, which is good. Just before we get to Mark, a couple of quick promos. Don't forget about the property developer training my step-by-step course to help you learn how to do your own small-scale property development project. You can find out all about that at propertydevelopertraining.com. Huge amount of content in there with lots of other people in learning how to become a developer. So jump over there if you want to learn how to be a developer. And you can also take the quiz, the property developer quiz, to see how ready you might be to become a developer. So head to propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz for that one. Now, with my project getting towards the end, I've been doing weekly video updates of how it's looking. So if you want to check those out, head to Insta, Facebook, or LinkedIn under the handle of Property Developer Podcast. All right, let's move on to our guest today, Mark Lovett from Liquid Silver Developments. Mark has a long and storied career doing small to medium scale development projects. He started out as a plasterer before moving into property investing. He then decided to try his hand at property developing and purchased his first site with absolutely no idea of what he was doing. And he later found out that there was an underground stream running through the site. We talk about that and a whole lot more, including things like understanding your risk appetite, how Mark's initial due diligence has evolved significantly over time, and what he's done well throughout his career. This is a really fantastic conversation that I'm certain you're going to love. So let's get stuck straight into it by finding out what food Mark would eat until he was sick. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to give you two options here, and that would be either steak or seafood or both. Yep. Go just combine them with the surf and turf. Surf and turf, mate. Can't go wrong. Oh, we haven't had too many steak uh, lovers before. 
Oh, really? Gee, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a dying breed. Particular kind of cup that you like to go for? Look, if I had the choice, it would be the, the rump cap. Yes, a on wagon a rump cap. Nicely cooked on a barbecue? Nice and rare. Ooh, okay. Yep. And then what about on the the surf front? What would you choose? Surf front would then? either be uh, prawns or or lobster, crayfish. Yeah, well, but sometimes you don't need to eat too many prawns to feel sick. No, you don't. <laughs> you get a bad one. Oh, I've tried that before, don't worry, and it, it takes a few to, to feel sick, but I've definitely tested that theory. <laughs> All right. Well, here we are today talking about property development. You've got an interesting story to share about your journey into doing projects. Yes. Let's kick off by starting with how'd you get into property or what's your background in property? So my background early years, I'm a tradie uh, or was a tradie. I, I consider myself still a tradie. Uh, so yeah, left school and, and jumped into the, the trade base. Um, most of my twenties were. Sorry, what trade? Uh, plasterer. Sorry, internal. So yeah, ceilings, lining, gibrock, all that sort of stuff. Uh, commercial and residential. As the time went on, um, so most of my twenties were feeding my travel habit in in the way of, of plastering, coming home, making some money, shooting off again, etc. Sort of hit the thirties and thought that I should probably start being an adult and uh, sorting my sorting my life out. I couldn't travel forever, so I I knew nothing about obviously being in the construction industry, surrounded by property, and and that was I did love it. It wasn't just a means to an ends. Um, so I and I'm in Brisbane at this stage. I came across a, a gentleman called Ed Burton, an older gentleman up from Wollongong. He was doing the rounds. Um, uh, spruiking property investment, self-managed super funds, all that sort of stuff. And at this stage, I, I know nothing about purchasing property. Uh, I just knew that that was probably the way I was going to go and the way I wanted to go. So 1100 bucks, two-day seminar, Brisbane Convention Centre. Uh, he's got my attention for two days. Let's see what, what I sort of can get out of this. Um, what I did get out of it uh, was... A couple of hot tips that he, he sort of gave everyone and uh, living in Brisbane one of those uh, locations was Ningi which is up near Bribe Island little suburb just before you head over the bridge and the other one was a, a place called Derrigan in Townsville now through the tradie journey I'd spent a lot of time in Townsville working so I knew the area knew the location etc what was going on there so I've gone okay all right good start um had had very limited funds in the bank, probably had 20K. I thought, oh, well, that's that must be enough to sort of get my foot in the door. Spoke to a broker. He said, mate, this is this is sort of your, your spend limit. Uh, go shopping. So I jumped on a plane, went up to Derrigan. Uh, I hadn't been up there for a few years and the landscape had changed a bit. More worse, getting built, a bit of infrastructure, schools, a lot of, uh, a lot of dirt where new subs were sort of coming into play, et cetera, close to the water, close to the beach. And uh, again, very, very limited idea on, on what I should be looking for, et cetera. But all I knew was I knew the area, uh, knew the location, there was action happening and Mr. Ed Burton had given me this tip. So that's all I needed. Um, 
So I flew up there, purchased the property. It was 180000 uh, Came home, thought, that was fun. This is, this is good. How fun is this? Uh, went back to the broker and said, you know, I'm enjoying this. How do I do this again? And he said, all right, crunch some numbers, get back into it. Um, yeah, you can go and purchase another one for, for X amount. So I jumped on the internet, found another one around the corner, didn't fly up this time, just rang the agent, um, send me a contract, let's do the deal, bang, got that one. And uh, within 12 months, I'd, I'd purchased three. So another one just off the internet, sight unseen. Um, and then came back to, came back to Brisbane and, and just kept working for a couple of years. And where I was living in, in Brisbane, uh, a place called Belimba, Riverside suburb, affluent, on the up, uh, nice little village, bars, cafes, cinema, et cetera, 5K from the city. A lot of action was happening in terms of development, townhouses, apartments, et cetera, houses. And, you know, I drive past it every day to and from work and, and sort of go, that's that looks fun. These guys are driving nice cars and they're wearing nice clothes and here's me and, you know, covered in mud and dirt and whatever and sanding dust and I could do that maybe. So I uh, sold the three properties. Um, the place went nuts up there at Derrigan. So thank you very much, Mr. Ed Burton, um, and, and pulled some hefty profits out of that within the two years. And I stumbled across next to next to Belimba, a little suburb Morningside, uh, backs right onto it, uh, Shops, train line, et cetera, et cetera, 5K from the city, not as affluent, um, Belimba's little brother, I guess. Come across two blocks there, 1,214 square metres uh, over the two blocks, asking 345 each, same owner. I've gone 690 for 1,214. I'll go and have a look. Well, I knew the area. It backs straight onto a pub, tick. Um, it backs straight onto Woolworths, tick. Train line's just across the road. Um, I live here. I love the place. Belimba's right next door. Let's buy it. So I did that. I used the equity that I, the, the profit that I made on those houses in Derrigan and, and quite blindly bought my first development site with absolutely no idea. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's how it started. That was my first site. And what was, what was the plan there? What did you end up doing? I didn't have a plan. That was that was the beauty of it. Um, being being naive, I guess, was a bit of a godsend then because I didn't know the pitfalls and the risks and and what could have happened. Um, but I I sort of muddled my way through it. Uh, spoke to an architect, got him on board. He drew some plans. They looked nice. I went, yep, sounds good. Um, and and in that time, I was sort of buying a few beers and steaks and talking to the local developers around the place and seeing what information I could get out of them. Uh, Google, fantastic, but absolutely no information on how to become a property developer. So I actually did, in that process, when I first started, stumbled across a fella called Colm Dillon. Um, he he spruked that he'd built half of... Brisbane and this and that for another company and worked in the States. And I had a look at this little limited course that he had there, $169. I've gone, buy, let's do that. It, it actually turned out to be the best purchase I've ever made in terms of uh, knowledge and learning about property development because it was a step-by-step -step guide and I didn't know any better. So, so I thought, okay, well, you're telling me you're this superstar. I'm going to follow what you, what you tell me to do. Um, 
So with that and lots of chats and beers and coffees with developers. Um, Pretty good return on investment as well at 169 bucks a oh, month. Mate, it was fantastic. <laughs> I've still got it to this day. I, I remember as soon as I got it, I printed it off and it was about 500 pages in four different volumes and I've still got the binded copy in my in my office and I still I still go back to it, you know, because sometimes it doesn't have to be complicated and the simple things work. So, um, yeah, led heavily on that, slowly built the team with the help of, uh, the architect, he was the main driver in it. Um, we ended up with 10 units there. So my first project was 10 units. Um, and I was sort of petering out of, in my mind, going, okay, well, you know, let's peter out of plastering and you, you're you going to become this big-time property developer. This is exciting, how good. So uh, I, I sort of petered out of plastering and, and focused on that, still needed money, wanted to know, wanted to learn, not just the property development process, but also construction from, from ground up, right? So I'd usually come in as a plasterer and everything would be built and I'd come in and, and plaster it. So I missed that first that first stage. So um, I decided to, to give up plastering there and then and become, I guess, a secret boss on site as the as the labourer. So only a couple, obviously builder, chippy, I think the concreter and the sparky knew that, it was my site and uh, I just went incognito and rocked up every day and opened the gate and went and got my lollipop licence to to help with that sort of stuff and just, just got stuck into it. And that was a godsend doing that just with um, one, the construction, but also just, just the chit chats, you know, with, with, with peers and people that knew were a lot smarter than me and, and yeah, it was a great process. So 10 apartments, Sold three, market shit itself, um, ended up holding on to seven and becoming a landlord. That was a process in itself, just the refinance and and that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't fatal and and just had the bug from there on and just wanted to, to get stuck into more and learn more. And um, I was always, I knew within myself, I was always wanted to be very proactive in the whole process. You know, I didn't want to handball it to a bunch of consultants and let them spend my money and, and make decisions for me. So I like getting my hands dirty. It was fun. It was fun. It was it was exciting. Yeah, you definitely want to be proactive uh, in property development. But tell 10, 10 apartments, that's a great first project. What were some of the key lessons that you learned? Lessons. Um the the lesson the, the big lesson I learned there was probably I had no choice but was relying on on architect and, and other consultants and one of the things which unbeknownst to anyone and not anyone's fault um, you know my due diligence on that site was absolutely zero my due diligence was I can cut a, a fence a, a gate in the back fence and that will save me three minutes to get to the pub as opposed to walking around that was my due diligence so. Um, you know, we ended up, it was a low-lying area, so I had to build it up. There's ADK that I didn't think about, um, bringing fill in, subfloors, blocking, uh, you know, core fill block walls, all that sort of stuff. But also on top of that, we had, initially we had about, I'll uh, call it 100 piers because it was low-lying and a bit damp underneath. I didn't know anything about soil tests. Um, and we hit a underground river or stream um, at about, I don't know, call it six metres or something. So the screw piers, whatever it was, call it 50K, 60K, turned into about 200K because we had to lengthen them. Um, 
I think we ended up getting down to, you know, up upwards of 15 or so metres just to get a bite on it, just to hold the building up. So that was a lesson learned there in the due diligence phase. But again, I wasn't phased. I had a contingency. The LBRs were working with the funder, et cetera. Um, I, I just knew that I had to get to the end. I'd started and, and get to the end. Um, but, yeah, so that was on that project. But I, I think lessons learned um, really getting the finances in place, right? I mean, I'm funding projects, so it's one we can we can get to that stage where where we've got our DA and BA in place, and that's great. We tipped in some developer equity, and that's fantastic. But if if you run into a brick wall where your LVRs aren't working in terms of funding, um, it's a lemon, right? It, it stops dead in its tracks. So really, getting my finances, really understanding every single element and cost that goes into to to, to building a, a property, a project. Um, you know, I've had ones along the way where I've, I've missed this and I've missed that just because I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and it's an extra 50 here or 100 there. All of a sudden, your contingency's chewed up and they're looking at me going, mate, how deep are your pockets? And I'm like, well, I, I don't even have pockets on these pants. So there's no money in there. Um, so, yeah, just really getting the finances and your fees are in order and, and really knowing up front what, what you're up for so there's no um, nasty surprises. And then when you went undercover, the undercover developer. Yes. What, do you, what did you learn there? What was that experience like? Uh, I learned to keep my mouth shut because a lot of the trades, even in a smoko shed, you know, conversations like, Oh, who's the dickhead developer that designed this and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm standing in the corner sort of give, giving everyone side eye going, oh, that's me, but I'm not going to let on. Um, but just I think just the importance of that, the key people and the key team around you that can in in that novice stage of where I was just to help steer the ship and and for me just to lean on, you know. Back then I'm like, I'm going to have to ask some really stupid questions here as basic as they are, but I didn't know any better and I wanted to learn and, you know, you get the right, you surround yourself with the right people and, and they don't see those questions as stupid. They just see it as someone that really wants to learn and, and get their hands dirty and understand the process and, yeah, you've got the right people there. They're, they're a big help and, and, and they get it. Yeah, I say that a lot to fledgling developers, people I speak to that are getting started. Just putting that team together is so important and you're going to come across people who are helpful and that's great and you but you'll also come across people who don't want to help and short with you and that's okay as well you just got to move on and find the right people yeah that's right it, it does take time you know I, I rely on a lot of recommendations either from developers that I don't know and I'm driving past a site mate who's your engineer this is a similar project to mine or recommendations from from my peers or other developers mates or whatever um, but it is very important and you know at the end of the day we're steering the ship in a sense it's our project it's our money it's our livelihood um, we've got these guys on board and you know they're usually a lot smarter than us they might be a lot richer than us or in a better position in life than us and um, you know, seen a lot more than us in terms of experience, but it is up to us to really manage that team and find your people there that who you have a relationship with and, you know, they're not going to charge you $500 for a phone call, carton of beers, okay, but, you know, you, you really need those 
those relationships and and like you said someone that will sit there and and take the time to to listen to what you've got to say or or your view as as uh novice as it might be um and you know at the end of the day let's be honest they're spending our money they go home at five o'clock they have a nice meal and go to sleep and you know get a good night's sleep after five we don't so at the end of the day you really need to sort of really be in charge of that and 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 in some sort of respectful way take take some sort of control yeah and they get paid generally whether the project succeeds or not exactly that's exactly <laughs> right yep yeah. no, i often uh, liken the developer to the conductor of the orchestra you're there trying to keep everyone in line in tune coming yes. in at the right time and that that's the thing right like we're not expected to be I'm a plasterer. I don't know anything about engineering. So we're not expected to know. It's a multidisciplinary process property development. So we're not expected to know everything. But I I really think that it is in your best interest to to really get above board on on a lot or all of the the different components and disciplines of of putting a project together. Um, It just helps you out in the long run. It makes things easier. even if you've got to fake it till you make it a bit, you know. But um, yeah, really, really sort of learn learn bits and pieces of, of each um, of each discipline. And what happened to the remaining seven apartments? You still got them, or did you? I haven't. No, I sold. I, that was back in two thousand and seven. I sold the last of those probably uh, seven or eight years ago. Um, they. Look, they were great and there was a little bit of appreciation there, but it, it just it didn't suit my needs at the time. And, and to be honest with you, you know, strategies change and my strategy going into this was develop, sell, pay the king, pay the tax and, and take what's left and, you know, go and buy a nice car. Um, but I ended up turning into a landlord and I, I soon realised that I didn't want to be a landlord. I didn't want to talk broken dishwashers and deal with property agents and, you know, all this sort of stuff. So unfortunately I had to be for a while, but uh, yeah, over over time it's I've, I've certainly lent towards more develop and sell. And then what was the second project? Second project was I teamed up with my brother. Um, he was, he, about the same time as me doing the 10, he was dabbling in a, a four pack of townhouses. Um, so we bounced off each other and and, you know, sort of, muddled our way through together. Uh, so I teamed up with him. We come across a little site in, again, in Morningside in Brisbane. It was DA'd for three townhouses, close to train line, 5K from city, et cetera. Uh, nice, easy buy-in, um, we thought. Uh, got those built, but what we did, we we put a GIA in for permissible change and, and could see a bit of an opportunity there for one, being close to the train line, um, there was a TAFE up the road, etc. Obviously, the unis in South Bank and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so we completely changed the three townhouses to, I guess, oh, you'd probably call it boarding boarding houses or rooms these days. We put so we put two kitchens in there. Um, each room had its own bathroom, um, and they were just a general two fifty three hundred square meter townhouse double double parking, which some of them we converted and used up a bit of that space because we didn't think they'd have cars for office space, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so spent a few dollars on, on getting that permissible change. And, yeah, I think at the end of it, we we ended up with 
maybe six or seven rooms in each townhouse. So, you know, going from three townhouses that we could rent for for six fifty a pop to, you know, sort of charging one fifty two hundred per room, um, it was certainly a a financial decision. And yeah, that worked. That worked. So I no longer have that. We no longer have that. But um, again, moved on. Circumstances change. Use equity elsewhere. But yeah, that was the second one. And then the third one, I jumped back into apartments. Come across a, a nice little block and stuck seventeen apartments on that four stories. First one in the suburb with a lift. So that was our that was our angle. <laughs> yeah, no more walk up. Any underground rivers with that one? There wasn't. No, that was a um, that was. And I didn't know at the time of purchasing, but the, the block, 20-odd metre frontage, 750 square metres, but ran from the road uphill slightly, probably two, two and a half metres. And having a really good architect on board at the time utilise the lay of the land with our height, uh, height limits and density and, and, and setbacks, et cetera, but mainly to do with the height. As we know, basements are expensive. So what we could do is we could sort of dip down from the road, three or 400 mil, cut straight back in. So basically cut a wedge out of this block and it allowed us to get an extra floor on, which we had, what did we have? Five, maybe five units per floor and a couple on top on the fourth level. Um, And obviously not coming out of the ground over a metre doesn't constitute a level or a floor. So a bit of trickery there, but I've gone, okay, I'm onto something here. This is That's something I'm going to look out for in the future if I'm building that sort of product. And I did. My latest project down here on the Gold Coast is is of the same uh, nature with that running uphill from the road. And again, did the same thing in a uh, two-storey area, nine metres I managed to get four stories with a 50% concession to about uh, 12 metres or something. So, yeah, yeah, that was um, that was that one. And, and then is that you continued on doing townies and apartments or did you... Yeah, more leaning towards the apartments. Um, it was just, look, obviously going upwards, you can, your yield um, and your, your different times of product and schemes... Uh, in terms of apartments are a little bit more beneficial, obviously, if the the market appetite is there. But townhouses were great, but, you know, the market started moving and all of a sudden for a 506 block, which you can get a duplex on, you're paying a million bucks for, and then you've got to spend another 500 for the build plus all your jet and the rest of it, you know, the story. And the the back-end sales just weren't working, you know. There there was either 100K in it or 50K or nothing, and it just wasn't worth it. So, um, yeah, stuck to the units. Um, and and shifted more towards owner rock, owner occupier, uh, an owner occupier product. Um, so yeah, and look, depends on the location, as you know. You know, there needs to be an appetite there from the market for a certain type of product, and and um, yeah, so that's that's what I've been doing until now. And then you also got involved in some feasibility software along the way. Yes, yes, yeah. So I have a, a very close relationship with the founder um, of a of a software that's coming to market called Feasley. Um, it's uh, basically, in a nutshell, it's it's a financial feasibility software built specifically for Australian property developers. Okay, so uh, 
not a spreadsheet, nothing against spreadsheets, but as we know, um, errors can occur uh, depending on the user. Um, so yeah, software built specifically for Australian property developers and uh, the way we see it, it's reducing your risk and, and you're going to have clear sight lines throughout your project. So yes, very exciting, very exciting. As you know, there's there's probably only not even a handful of uh, property development feasibility tools out there, I guess, not counting obviously built in-house, but um, yeah, the way we see it, it's the same as accountants. You know, they got off spreadsheets 10 years ago with the likes of Zero and MYOB and that sort of stuff. And, you know, if we weren't going to do it, someone's going to do it and we just wanted to get in there and we saw an opportunity and we think we've got a, a fantastic product. Yeah, well, I know that you spent a bit of time helping a mentoring student of mine, Dan, with uh, yes, his Dan, great ESO, and um, yeah, he used it on one of his latest projects. I think it came in fairly accurate. Yes, well, that that's what we're uh, that's the aim there. Um, we we put it to a soft launch probably six or so months ago, as you know, we spoke about it, um, and a lot of feedback in terms of what was missing, what was needed. Uh, and and Feasley isn't just for big players, like it's for mum and dad investors, duplex, four units, 20 townhouses, 100 storeys, commercial, land subdivisions, mixed use, et cetera. We're covering the whole, the whole base there. So the feedback was certainly uh, very helpful and we're back at tech at the moment, just, just scoping everything out and getting everything built um, to try and cover the majority of, of people's needs there and, and different types of projects. Um, and fingers crossed, uh, full launch to the market in March 24. Yeah, it's it funny. I was saying to you, oh, it's like you took my feasibility and turned it into a digital version. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, well, I, I'm sorry about that. I mean, look, let's face it, feasibility software doesn't have to be complicated, okay? And everyone has different needs, different size projects, etc. And, and we're trying to take the complication out of it, um, just just the UX, the, the flow of it all and, and just features with sharing and, you know, with funders and surveyors and valuers, all that sort of stuff, really just trying to condense the process. Uh, we don't want users to be overwhelmed. We want them to use what they, what they need and, and flick the rest or turn it off or, or, or blind it, et cetera. Um, and it just works. There's just no room for error. And a big thing with Feasley, I guess, is, you know, as with me back in the early days, I didn't know what to put on my beer coaster Fizo, right? Civils, Telstra connections, 30K, et cetera. And, and that stuff adds up, right? It's not just dollars and cents. So um, a big thing we do is we preempt as an option, you either turn it on or, or turn it off, is, is preempt a mile of items that, could be applicable to a certain project, townie, uh, apartments, boosters, all that sort of stuff that costs money. So if you choose to use it, you turn it on and you, and you use what items you need. Um, if, if you're more experienced and you know what you're doing, you don't have to use that. But it's really, I, I, I think there's a, there's a bit of an, an educational aspect within that, which is so important just, just to not miss those, those items, um, which can be costly and just to sort of, yeah, preempt the user to go. Okay, well, I didn't think of that. That's a sixty thousand dollar fire booster I need there. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I think the great part about it is that it keeps you up to date in terms of your version. Your version control is good, and you don't have sure. 
broken formulas that flow through and cause problems right. elsewhere. Yeah, without knowing too, and you're on to your third project and you've been, you've been using a clunky spreadsheet. Um, but, you know, everything has its place. And like I said, you know, a lot of people out there uh, have built spreadsheets uh, as yourself and, and your, your, um, your clients and they, you know, they work. They work and we do what works. So we're just trying to introduce something specifically for Australian property developers that is going to the next level, I guess, and, and we can't stop it. That's the way it's going. Yeah, well, I've got my own online property developer training course and I spend a lot of time going through finance and feasibilities because it's such a cornerstone of a project. Yes. Uh, and as you say, when you're getting started, one, you don't know what you don't know, and then two, you kind of don't know how to put it all together in a feasibility. That's right, you know, and there's so many aspects to it. I mean, a lot of people that I speak to that are, oh, I've got this four townhouse project and I'm going to make a million dollars and that's great. And I have a quick look at it and go, okay, so first thing I notice is you haven't accounted for GST. You know, your your GRV on that is is four and a half million dollars minus your your spend. You know, you're up for 200, 250K in GST, mate. So, okay, make a million dollars. Now it's down to 750, not bad, but I reckon I could find a few other little things in there you've missed as well, you know, without being cheeky. So, yeah, very important. Very, I mean, as we know, property development really is about financials, right? That's what it's about. That's what we're here for. That's, you know, without without sounding a bit crass at the end of the day, we, we put the hard work in and, and we look for how how successful a project is and, and that's based on the bottom line, I guess, in a, in a lot of respects. So I would say that's that's number one element uh, element of a, of a of a project, and that's really getting becoming an expert in in the in the financials. Yeah, look, I always say developing number one, it's a finance game, and then secondly, it's a relationships game, a people game. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and and that's the thing. Like we said before, you know, it's it's so multidisciplinary that. You're not just dealing with with one person. You've you've got twenty odd people coming at you, looking at you for advice and answers and direction. And um, yeah, definitely relationships. And getting back to the developing, we've already touched on some of the key lessons. But overall, what would you say some of the key lessons you've learned about property developing? Uh, look, I think we just touched on one of those and that's that's the financials and really getting that in order and really getting your head around what it takes to complete a project, um, all of your costs, etc. cetera. Um, for me, I guess a, a lot of it's been learned about myself. Like I am, I have no problems uh, jumping off a cliff and, and hoping for a soft landing, right? Like that's, I don't have to worry about that. My, my appetite for risk is very healthy. Um, so that's never been a problem. Um, I guess in terms of the process, uh, it can be overwhelming, okay? Even I get overwhelmed. Uh, in the early days, I probably didn't because I don't know what the worst case scenario is here except lose everything and that's great because I'll just go and try and make it again. Um, but I think for me is 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 one self management, okay, and your time management. It, it, as I said, it can be very overwhelming. So when you've got twenty people coming at you that want direction and answers, and all of a sudden your inbox is filling up, and you don't know the answer to half of those, and you need to make external phone calls and get some advice or whatever it may be, 
uh, with myself and this is with me in general life as well. You know, if I've got any more than five emails in my inbox, I start to pace the hallways. Okay. It's not something that sits well with me. Um, I need to be, I need to be, I need to be focused and planned and I need to know within myself that, that I'm, things aren't building up and I'm not getting overwhelmed because I do, right? I still do. Um, but once I sit down and take a breath and really work through that list in order of priority, you know, it might only take an hour or so, but um, I feel 100% afterwards. So just that inner process of, of not becoming overwhelmed, I think, with everything, everyone throwing spears at you, um, it's it's... It's something that I've found that I've, I've had to manage, and yeah, big learning curve with 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 the property development process. Yeah, and you go through those ebbs and flows through a project where it might not be that busy, and then suddenly there's a whole bunch of things happening, and you do yes. have a lot that you have to deal with at a yes, point that's in right. time. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And then you mentioned um, hitting the stream underneath your first site. Have there been any other sticky situations that you've found yourself in? Uh, in terms of actual my developments, um, look, each one may have had a, a 50, 60K blowout or, or even more or something. Uh, I've always allowed for it in contingency. Um in terms of sticky, I mean, none of them have been fatal. I'm still here to tell the tale. So in terms of sticky, I guess, yeah, probably just um, certain aspects. I'll give you an example. So uh, the last project I did, four stories, owner rock, nine apartments down on the Broadwater here at, at um, on the Gold Coast, and the civil guy drew up for a new sewer line, right? Now the, the manhole was 50 metres down the street, it was going to be a 60 grand exercise. I didn't like the sound of that. I've gone, okay, well, here comes another Mark stupid question. Can we do something different? No, we can't. We need to connect into it. We need to run a new 150 AC uh, pipe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, okay, so what do you actually need? A 150 AC pipe uh, feeding into to our lot. Um, he said, yes, that's all we need. That's all we need, a 150. Upgrade from 100 to 150 and your old one there is a 100. I'm like, okay. How do you know that council records say it is? Okay, no worries. I'm demoing the house. I go out there with a shovel. Um, I get the demo guy in his 20-tonner just to dig up on the boundary where the, the, the connection's coming into my lot. Uh, I'm two metres in a hole. Excuse my French, but shit everywhere. Okay, this is a sewer line, so I'm down there. And I dig it back, dig it back. Took me a day. Get back on the council side. What do you know? It's a 150 line get onto the civil guy hey buddy i know you probably are sitting there in your air conditioning and you haven't come out to have a investigate on this but i've just found a 150 sewer line he's gone oh wow okay fantastic stupid question is not such a stupid question now um i said what do i do do we talk to council he said mate if you just go in there and and put some cctv footage down there and and show council the condition of the the lining of the pipe um they'll let you connect onto that that connection. Did that, two and a half grand, CCTV, was 60, save 57 and a half for getting shit on my shoes. I was happy. Um, so, yeah, just little things like that, I guess, sticky situations. Um, well, that one was I did, literally uh, sticky. Uh, very sticky. Yeah, very sticky. <laughs> uh, couldn't go home for a week, had to sleep out on the front lawn. Um, yeah, and look, there's there's been another another 
development that my brother and I got into and, and might have bit off more than we can chew could chew. Uh, we put together four lots in an emerging area in Brisbane, 3K from Brisbane. City plan had just been changed. We saw an opportunity, uh, got an option over four lots, 12-month option, so non-refundable option fees, et cetera. There's 100K. Um, DA for 100 units, two towers. Um, obviously, we didn't have the capital to to go through with the project, so we were either strategy was sell it with the DA um, and make a little uplift, make some money there, um, or find a money partner and you know, we love developing, so we thought, ah, let's build 100 units, let's find a money partner. Found a, a very big outfit um, in in Melbourne. Uh, you would know who they were, but I won't mention any names. Fantastic people, uh, never a bad word to say about them. Uh, built a relationship with them. They jumped on board, um, so they were going to inject money, but not throw cash on the table, but through a lend process from internally within their organisation. Um, so basically the same as having a, a money partner funder on board, just the back-end mechanics were, were running through them. Um, so needed 60-odd pre-sales for them to be comfortable to move ahead. We dropped about six or 700K at this stage. Um, the market shit itself. All of a sudden, team meeting, you know, things are getting a little bit sticky. Guys, don't know if we can go through with this. We're like, oh, okay. All right, so the money's really just, and there were some hefty profits in the back end for, for myself and my brother. Um, you know, this thing can go two ways. We either can it now and and come up with a figure for myself and my brother to walk away, or we just slowly keep trying to get pre-sales and it's just going to chew up dollars and no one will have anything at the back end of it. So, you know, there was a bit of back and forth there. Okay, this is our figure. They started laughing. Okay, this is. They said this is their figure. We started laughing and crying at the same time. Um, and at the end of it, we come to an agreement. And, and yeah, we walked out with our pants on, but um, there was a lot of zeros left there on the table. Um, but lesson learned. You know, we went. We went. We wanted to go big, and we, we saw the flashy lights and the and the dollar signs at the end of it. And it's exciting, right? Like that was exciting for us. My brother. He's he's more of a risk taker than me. So the two of us together, there's no one pulling each other back, right? We're, we're racing to the cliff to see who can jump off first. So, um, whether that's a good mix or not, I don't know, but it was exciting, but expensive. And what was the lesson from, from that project? Uh, look, I, I don't think we did anything wrong. I think... Um, I think timing and, and and maybe a little bit of bad luck in the market had had a lot to do with it. Um, yeah, look, I'm not a solicitor, but maybe tie a few, solidify a few more things at the back end in case things did go pear-shaped. But, yeah, look, I have no regrets on doing it. It's only money, you know. You, you suffer for a little while and you kick yourself and, and suck lemons for a bit. But at the end of the day... Um, I'd do it again. I'd do it again, 100%. Yeah. I had a project that was just about to start construction um, as COVID hit, and I can remember the everything was all ready to go. We had the finance all sorted out, and um, as it was blowing up, the lenders called me and they said, we're not taking on any more clients you're the last deal that we're uh, that we're doing for a while and sort of see what plays out do you want to proceed are you, uh, 
what's your plan? You want to go ahead or you just want to hold off? <laughs> I remember thinking, well, I don't see the point in holding off. It's just going to delay everything. So we're all set to go. So yeah, we want to push ahead. And you did. Which is what we did. And it sort of all worked out okay in the end. Just kind of built through COVID and then came out the other side as the market was in, was improving. Yeah. And I mean, you put the hard work into that stage, right? And and hard work puts you in a in a in a place where good luck can find you. So sometimes you just have to hang on and and just get it done and, and see what comes out the back end. What about a favorite project? You got a favorite child? It's funny you just told me about that project of yours because my favorite project hasn't happened yet. It's um I've got a I've got an approval here on the Gold Coast, um, and this is the one I was telling you about with the the nine meter height limit, and I managed to get the four stories there. Um, it's a it's a it's a post war sort of area with some really nice done up houses, village. Um, so walkability is is perfect next to the water, um, and I've come in and and sort of gone you know got an approval with with locals backing. Um, to put this four-story, uh, eight owner-occupier apartments there. Uh, it's called the Huxley. So that that has been a similar situation to you. COVID hit, knocked the house down, sold them all, um, 20 tonne of waiting out the front, start digging holes. Um, builder said, oh, we should just revise the build price. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's looking a bit, it's looking a bit funny out there. Um, did, and the construction price doubled. So... Once I sort of stopped crying for a while, I um, yeah, I just shut the gate and and spoke to the the the, the purchasers and said, look, this is where we stand. Um, it's not working for me. We can either tip some more money in, or I'm happy to go halves, or we'll just try and make it work the best way we can. I sold them all myself, so I had a relationship with these people, um, and they sort of said, yeah, look, at this stage, we don't know what's going on either. A vow's going to come in, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to we're going to pull out. So very excited about that. It was very, it was very new in the area in terms of the product. Um, and a beautiful product. Very excited. And and that sort of got pulled from underneath me. So it hasn't happened yet, but I'm gearing up again. Um, so yeah, that will be my most i guess rewarding and exciting project just on the sales there how did you how did you do them yourself was it just through people that you knew or was it a public campaign uh, so as you know as a developer you can sell your own stock um don't need a real estate i don't have a real estate license i i'm i am not a salesman um but i just i just put an ad up on on realestate.com and um Obviously, I know a few people on the ground, agents, et cetera, and just put the feelers out. Um, it didn't happen with externally. I, all of my um, inquiries came through my ad. Uh, it's, it's, it's a it's an in-demand area. Nothing is ever for sale there. It's got all of the infrastructure in place. Gold Coast Hospital's 2Ks from, from where I am, train line, tram, all that sort of stuff. So I knew they would sell themselves. But, yeah, I, I was just... I was just the front man and I was up front, you know, I'm the developer and people sort of, it's it's funny watching their eyes when you say, look, you meet them on a Sunday, you've been to the beach in the morning, can we meet at 12 o'clock, no worries, rock up in shorts and and flip-flops and, and go, okay, um, who are you? And they sort of relax a little bit because they are owner-occupiers, right? They're not, 
they're not investors, so they are heavily invested emotionally, etc. Um, and I think it's just nice for them to talk to someone that knows every inch of that project, right? I've only got DA plans at this stage. I'm selling off of DA plans. There's no measurements. So they want to know how wide the kitchen bench is and how big that study area is and, you know, customising that sort of stuff. So it wasn't a hard process. It was obviously the timing and and Donald Duck could have sold them at that stage. It wasn't me personally, but I was just the front man. But, yeah, it was an easy process and, you know, I look at the financials and see 350K sitting there and go, I'm going to have a crack at selling these myself, you know, and I did. So there's another 350K in, uh, added to the bottom line and, yeah, relationships, right? If you can sit there and talk to people and be honest and upfront and, and you know, let them know timelines and, and how long it's going to take and no rubbish that some, not all agents out there might might throw at prospective buyers. Um, I think it's it's relieving for, for the incoming buyers. So, yeah, it worked out well. Yeah, I've got another uh, developer I know who insists on meeting prospective buyers mm -hmm. before signing the contract because okay. he says he wants to know who they are and he wants to be certain that they're getting what they want and that they can meet him and he can talk to them and ask them questions. They can ask him questions. He said, look, I just want to make sure that they're getting what they want. Yes, and exactly. It just saves time in the back end at the handover. Yes, it's just a much smoother process. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And you're part of the body court for for twelve months, right? So you're still sticking your nose in here and there. Um, and it's funny you say that because I know when I first started out, you know, I want a nice car and I want to fill my pockets up, and it was all bang, bang, bang. Let's go. This is fantastic. But I think over the last seventeen or so years and because of selling them myself and you do meet these people, especially the owner occupiers that have worked hard for their money, right? And they're investing six, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars of their hard-earned money into something that you've created from a from a, a pipe dream lying in bed at night. Um, and it sort of shifts the reward for myself sort of shifts in yes, we all need to eat, fantastic, but it shifts from that working with these guys and customising a bathroom and getting to know them and meeting them on a Sunday with five different tile samples, et cetera, um, just knowing that they've invested in, in me as the person that's created this project and they're willing to, to put their money um, and, and bet on me. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that is a big reward um, in, in the whole process. And, and that's what I've noticed just by selling certain projects myself and, and meeting these people. And what's the plan with that project? What's all been repriced? Are you going to... Uh, look, I've, I've sort of tentatively uh, starting to investigate again, um, just through a few conversations. The gap's getting better in terms of bottom line. It's still not um, where I need it to be. Um, just with construction prices up here and, and labour shortages, things are still through the roof, right? It's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm not rushing. I'm not rushing. It's still there. Approvals are still in place. I've got the BA, you know. I've, I've invested quite a few dollars into this, you know, what a BA costs, all construction drawings and engineering, et cetera. I'm ready to go. So um, I'm hanging on to it tightly. <laughs> yeah. 
What's something that you would say that you've done quite well throughout your developing career? Um, I think I think the management process, uh, as we were speaking about the team, um, knowing the importance of the of the team and putting them together, and really, I, I just rinse and repeat and use the same guys for specific projects. So building those relationships. Um, so one really managing that process, um, getting to know certain elements and aspects of each discipline, okay, certainly helps for them, helps for me in, in general conversation, um, consultant meetings, you know, sitting at the end of the table and, and having my two cents worth going, well, you know, why use steel up there? It's going to cost 60 grand. Can we use some LVLs or something and cut the price in half? So just having that confidence as well amongst the team through building those relationships. I think with myself, um, what I've, um, I probably haven't learned it. I've probably always been this way, but applying it to the property development process is myself uh, time management. Okay. Super important. Just having all ducks in a row and really, um, really trying to to work out red flags before the fire starts okay and being able to pivot and and at least have a plan b and a plan c and and know that uh, preempting that before things may arise obviously you can't you can't preempt everything there but just really being prepared and really having all your ducks in a row and just really being proactive in in everything right and yeah that time management has certainly helped me um it stops the overwhelming situations and makes me feel like I'm in, in more control, you know, and when you, when you feel like you're in control of a situation, that's when you work at your best. So, Are there other things that you'd say that you do now that you didn't do earlier on? Um, it's funny because, you know, as I mentioned before, my appetite for risk is so high that, and call it naivety when I was young and when I was learning all of this stuff, but I've probably come a little bit more risk adverse as we've gone on, you know, like, and that's only through knowing the importance of, of becoming an expert in due diligence and your market analysis and appetite from the market on a certain product that you, you, you think you might be able to put on a, on a block of dirt. So I think, you know, as I've become a little bit more experienced over the years, I've probably taken it. I'll, the the risk appetite is still there, but I guess I'm not just walking up blind and jumping. I, I'm going through certain processes, as you know. Um, so that's certainly changed. And look, for a good thing, I love the risk thing. Like it's, it's exciting, and that's who I am. But yeah, knowing that I've I've, I've thoroughly uh, carried out my due diligence and market analysis and that sort of thing prior to taking control or purchasing a site. As I'm getting older, um, it does it does help me sleep a little bit better at night. So you're walking up to the edge of the cliff with the wingsuit on now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> a big, uh, yeah, big cushion down the bottom. And it's probably only six foot high these days, not twenty foot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good to hear. Uh, what do you think the best piece of advice is that you've ever received? Best piece of advice is. Um, become the expert in your due diligence process you know um i think i think once you've nailed that process up up front um prior to taking control or purchasing that site i think you just put yourself in good stead 
for uh, a successful project. Things are obviously going to change and you might have to pivot, but uh, knowing everything up front, especially within that due diligence process, not just site investigation and setbacks and some town planning constraints, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but for me, I am heavily, heavily invested in the, um, the, the market analysis, okay? So who's going to buy this product or rent this product at the back end? I think, I think that is so important. For me, it shapes what, you're, what, what type of land you're going to buy, you know, in what location. Um, if you don't know what the appetite there for a certain product is by the market, well, I, I think you're going to struggle at the back end. You might, you, you might jag it and get lucky and it could be a great market and you could sell anything. But, um, you know, if you haven't got the right product and you don't really study your market and get out there and know who's living in that area and what people want, I mean, you know, from inception to completion could be 18 months or two years. So you you also need to to be on top of how things are changing. And, you know, by the time you start, they've, they've just started a university 600 metres from your project and it's going to be finished in two years. Predominantly at the moment, it's the demographic is mums and dads with four kids and double garage and courtyard, townies, larger residences, et cetera. But that uni coming in, you know, I might be able to look at a skinnier block where I don't need a frontage but is zoned for four storeys where I can get 35 one-bedroom apartments on there. So, you know, just knowing that appetite and, and what people want at the back end, um, that, that's my go-to. Become an expert in that, in that space. And is that your advice for people that be looking to take their developing to the next level? You know what? I think it is, yeah. I mean, firstly whatever that next level means to you, whether it's scaling up in terms of larger investment, larger projects, et cetera, larger risk. Um, I think that's an internal question you need to ask yourself and obviously look at your financial position and and what you're willing to lose. Um, but definitely, I think the market, right? A marketing analysis is free. It doesn't have to be costly. I mean, go and sit in the park on a Saturday morning and have a coffee and just have a look at, who's walking around and, and enjoying the facilities and what cafes are they going to and how old are they? Take a bit of paper, 20 to 35-year-olds, 40 plus, 50 plus, et cetera. Do they have dogs? They must have a courtyard, you know. Drive the streets, do a, put together some data on, on, on what's selling or what's coming up. Um, you know, go and see, go to open homes. That's free. That takes a few hours, you know. Take a coffee and, and see what, what sort of demographic are looking at what sort of um, what sort of product. Ask you what questions they're asking. You know, does it have a walk-in robe, et cetera? How many cars, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. You compile all that sort of data and you're going to have a very, um, a very specific uh, pile of information that is going to help you choose a site what sort of product you're going to put on it, how big, how many car spaces, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that, 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 that is so important and it's free, okay? You can just get out there on the weekend and, and start compiling data and you'll get your answers. Yeah, and I often say it only takes three, four months of closely monitoring a market. It does. To get a real understanding of what kind of property transacts and for what amount of money and who buys it three or four months you really start get a good understanding yeah exactly and so important i think that's where that's where the success of your project is is born all right mark well we're getting close to the end any 
final thoughts you want to share with us? Uh, final thoughts. Um, look, I think, you know, for people out there maybe starting in development, I, I think you just really need to be honest with yourself and, and know yourself, uh, what type of person you are. Obviously, myself, I love the risk and that's great and that works for me. It's not going to work for some people. Uh, it'll be too overwhelming. You won't complete a project um, and, and it'll just be all too much for you. So I think really, really be honest with yourself and, and ask yourself some hard-hitting questions. What are you willing to lose? You know, what's your appetite for risk? How, how active do you want to be in the process? Do you just want to handball it to a team and let them make all the decisions? Um, uh, you know, that's important. That's important because we don't know until we've gone through the process and we learn stuff about ourselves and and what what we come across and what pitfalls and red flags and fires we need to put out. You sort of don't know, but you know it's it can be a risky business. It is a risky business. Um, obviously, your due diligence plays a big part in that de-risking, etc. But at the end of the day, it is a risky business, right? The market can turn, things can happen, um, and we're not talking dollars and cents here, right? It's uh, a considerable amount of investment that that is put into a project from us as developers. So, yeah, really know yourself, ask yourself some hard-hitting questions and and really be honest and, yeah, do what feels right. But but at least have a go. Start small. Have a go. If you're overwhelmed, start with a reno. That's still property developing. Move up to a duplex or, or something, you know, like do what do what you feel comfortable with. Yeah, I was having this very conversation with a young developer last week. We were talking about what kind of projects uh, to tackle or that he could tackle. And I said that same thing to him. It just comes back to your risk appetite. What are you prepared to to risk? Because you want to be able to get to sleep at night. It's going to take a couple of years potentially to get your project done. And there's no point taking on a highly risky project type if you're not comfortable with that. And, no, that's right. And that could be a three-unit site for some people or an eight-unit site for someone else or a duplex might be considered risky for someone else. So you just yeah, have right. to understand what you're, what you're comfortable with. Yeah, and just adding to that as well, I think, you know, you hear it all the time. I mean, with our own principal place of residence, we're emotionally invested, right? But property developing, there are there's no room for emotions, okay? We're looking at a process and the bottom line here, so... You know, if you want to put your favourite pink tile in there, but that's not what the, app, the the market appetite is, well, you know, good luck with that. But you really need to just sort of draw a line in the sand and see it for what it is and get from A to B as fast as you can in the best way possible um, to produce a successful project. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that's what's worked for me. No room for emotion. I mean, obviously, it's going to be emotional, but don't get invested emotionally in, in into your project. And one more thing on top of that is, like I said before, know your funding position up front. Get your, get your financials in place. Know what it's going to cost. Know what your back-end sales are going to be, your GRV. And know before you press the button if you will be able to obtain funding because there's no point investing three or 400K stamp duty, uh, you know, um, deposits on properties and, and DAs and all that sort of stuff if you're going to run into a brick wall because no one wants to lend you the money because your LVRs are way off and you don't have any more money to tip in. So that is heartbreaking. That I, I came across that once with one of my projects and it was absolutely heartbreaking. It takes the wind out of your sails. So know your funding position up front. Get to know what funders are offering. Yeah, very good point. 
All right, Mark, it's been so awesome speaking with you today. If it has. people want yeah. to find out more about you, where should they look? Uh, so my development company is Liquid Silver Developments. Um, I'm up here on the Gold Coast. And in terms of uh, our property development software, uh, software that is feasley.com.au. So, yeah, go and have a look. Yeah, definitely check out Feasley. It's a great, great resource. and. Yeah. Always fantastic to talk with you, Mark. Appreciate all the stories that you've shared. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and uh, all the best getting that special project out of the ground. Yes, I'll do my best. And likewise, Justin, nice talking to you, mate. Thanks again. All right. See you later. Thank you, mate. Bye. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.